0: read along with me again Ephesians 2 verse 1 and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind Raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let us pray. Lord we just this morning uh, thank you for the very humble reminder of who we are apart from your grace and the work of Jesus Christ. Who we are left unto ourselves separated Represented by the words, but God. Thank you for intervening. Thank you for making a way for us to be reconciled to you through the work and the person of Jesus Christ, your Son. it means for someone to be turned from darkness into light. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the gift of faith in which we respond to you. Thank you for preparing for us.
1: seated. Amen. It is a joy uh, to be able to worship alongside of you this morning and to jump into this beautiful passage of scripture. This is one of those that often when we take the Lord's Supper together, this is a a text that we say, hey, if you're here and you don't know Jesus or you don't understand what these things are about, you're trying to grow in that, turn to Ephesians chapter 2 because it's just such a beautiful, not just picture of the gospel, but an explanation of the gospel that we get to dive into together uh, this morning and next week. And so, our, our big truth for today really spans the next two weeks, today and next week, which is this Jesus' followers are saved by grace through faith in him. And we read it just a moment ago. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it's a gift of God, not of works, so that no man may. Boast. And we're going to chase a lot of the implications of this truth next week. Uh, What what is this grace? What does it mean that it comes by faith and who we are in Christ? But today what I want us to do is really uh, focus on kind of one word within this big truth, and that's the word saved. And so if, if we were at a quip, and I had my pen with me, that would be the word I'd be circling, kind of drawing our attention to. Because when we think about the word saved, it it means not that just we get something, but that we are saved from something. That the need for our salvation is predicated by another issue, a circumstance, a conflict within ourselves that that we need to be rescued from. And so next week we'll look more closely at the work of salvation, today we want to look closely at our need for salvation. And that's where the Apostle Paul kind of begins in this section of the letter. He he chooses to describe these realities of the gospel through contrast. And Pastor Mike kind of mentioned that a few moments ago. It's this contrast, who we were and who we are. And this picture of contrast is not just here in this section, this will be something that we chase more into the book of Ephesians where he holds out realities of who we were and who we are in Jesus Christ, it's kind of like a diamond. I don't know how many of you have ever been to a jewelry store. Maybe some of you were like me, and you went and got diamonds so you could propose and be engaged, and and there's kind of memories that come with that. But usually when you see a diamond, uh, it's against a solid backdrop, often a black backdrop. And the reason why is so it will show off. It, It will show the beauty, the sparkle, all the things that are there. The contrast of the black against the diamond makes the diamond stand out. And as we walk through these verses this morning, that's really what the Apostle Paul's doing. He wants to show contrast. He's already talked about glorious gospel realities in chapter 1. What God has done and who we are in Jesus, past, present, future. He's, He's prayed for them, that they would understand the wonder, the beauty, the glory of who they are in Christ. But before he can go any further, he wants to remind them of who they were in their sin. And this is not just something that he is reminding the church at Ephesus, this is, he is reminding us, not just reminding us, he is revealing to us the depth of our need for God. And I think that raises a really important question for us this morning, for you and for me, and I've been wrestling with this this week. Do we see our need for God? Do we know our need for God? Do you see yourself for who you are removed from God's work in your life? And that's what the Apostle Paul wants us to see and wants us to feel as we walk through really these first three to five verses in in Ephesians chapter 2. He wants us to remember who we were. He wants us to see who we were apart from God. God. The contrast helps us understand the depth and the beauty of the good news. Without bad news, you don't really appreciate the good news. Think about this, think about getting the diagnosis that you are cancer free. So if I went to uh, my physical and my doctor comes and he says, Hey, good news, I want you to know you are cancer free. Well, I would be encouraged by that. That That would be good. I would be happy to get that news, but I didn't go into that appointment expecting to have cancer. But if you have stage four leukemia, and you get that report, you are cancer free, your response is completely different. And for some of you, you are walking through that right now. You are walking through a diagnosis. You're praying for a miracle for yourself or someone else. And you understand the joy that would come with that kind of news against your situation. And it's that weight and that tension that the Apostle Paul brings into this part of the letter that he's writing to the church. He wants us to see the contrast between who we are and who we are were in the previous chapter he's described all these glorious realities and as we've been walking through this over the last few weeks maybe in the back of your mind you've had kind of the same question that I've had why do we need these realities why is it so important that we understand these things and it's because on our own we have no access to them So in this section, in these few verses, he describes our need by providing us with a diagnosis of our condition, who we are apart from God in our sin. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to walk back through these verses that Pastor David read a few minutes ago and just look at the reality of our sin And I know that's super encouraging, that's super exciting. You know, Praise God you're here this morning. We're going to talk about sin, but we need to talk about sin. We need to wrestle with these realities. We need to see what is true for us and true for humanity so that we can fully understand and rejoice in the gospel. And so this is one of those messages. For those of you who are note-takers in the room, I'm, I'm one of those people, I like to take notes. I want to give you permission this morning not to take notes. I know that probably like irks something deep inside of you, and if you need to, you can. Like It's okay, and there's no judgment that's there. All the notes are online, you can go grab them. This is one of those passages where I just want you to think and feel and wrestle with these realities that we see in this passage. Because if we don't understand the depth of our sin, we can't understand the depth of God's grace we don't understand the depth of our sin, we can't comprehend or begin to fathom his mercy to us in Christ Jesus. And so without any further ado, we're just going to kind of walk through this section, several big ideas just about who we are in our sin. First big idea is this, in our sin, we are dead. In our sin, we are dead. This is what Pastor Mike drew our attention to as we were praying together. Look back at chapter 2, verse 1, and you were "...dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked." The Apostle Paul, he's not beating around the bush, he's not kind of giving it too us easy. He's just stating from the beginning, sin makes us dead. It makes us dead spiritually, it makes us dead physically one day. It brings death into our life. The way that he describes this is through the words trespasses and sin... And trespasses and sins, they're really two ways of talking about sin. It's not two really different ideas. Trespass is the action of sin. Sins are the state of our sin. It's kind of like going outside and saying it's freezing cold outside. You're not really saying anything different. You're just saying it with emphasis. You're trying to give weight to it. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He's reminding us and showing us that the reason we are dead is not just because we got sick. It's because of sin. That sin is action committed against holy God. It is a rebellion. It is a rejection of him. And I think that's important. Sin is not just a religious construct or a title that we use to talk about our mistakes or our struggles or our past. And maybe you're here this morning and you wrestle even with the term sin. Like that that feels negative. That makes me feel bad. I don't like it and it should because the idea of sin literally means to miss the mark It we've missed the mark of holiness we've missed the mark of God's perfection but not just that we've missed it we've totally rejected it we've gone the other way we have become rebels we have said to God no I will not have your rule I will not have your reign I will not follow you I want to be God over my own life. I want to pursue my own saviors. It is a full-out rejection of Jesus Christ. Sin is cosmic treason against the one true God of the universe. It's not a small deal, it's a big deal. Sin is an aggressive, all-encompassing, terminal cancer for the soul. It kills you from the inside out. And it spreads into every relationship in our lives. Think about it. If you're married, for you and your spouse, the brokenness that has come into your life because of not just their sin, but your sin. As a parent, as a son, as a daughter, as a friend, as a coworker, think about the tension, the difficulty, the hurt, the wounds that have come into your life because of the sin of others, but also the wounds that have come through you to others. Sin is no small thing, it is treason against God, and it is a cancer of the soul for us. And there's a few things that Paul wants us to see very clearly in this big idea. First is this, sin is a murderer. It's a murderer. Sin doesn't just make you bad. Sin makes us dead. Listen to the way that the Apostle Paul describes it in Romans chapter 7. He says this, For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, talking about the law, it deceived me, and through it, killed me. He's not beating around the bush. He's not making it rosy. He's not giving it to us easy. No, sin is a liar, and sin is a murderer. It lies to us. It tells us something we want to hear. And then when we accept it, it kills us from the inside out. Your sin, my sin. Sin doesn't just make us broken or even bad. Sin causes death. John Owen, a famous Puritan pastor, said this, Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. The problem is, on our own, we cannot kill sin. We are powerless against it. Sin is a murder. But second, dead people cannot heal themselves. The reason why the Apostle Paul is using this metaphor, this picture of death, is because dead people can't get out of the grave. If you are dead, you can't make better life choices, you can't eat healthier, you can't go to the doctor more. You are incapable of healing yourself, you're incapable of taking care of yourself. Think about the story of Lazarus in the Gospel of John. Lazarus dies, Jesus comes on the scene. And What do Mary and Martha say to Jesus? Only you had been here, our brother would not have died. Like you could have fixed him before, but death has him now. The hopelessness of our situation. What he's saying here is that a dead person cannot get out of the grave, meaning we are incapable of self salvation. You and I on our own, there's nothing we can do to fix our problem. We can't be good enough. We can't try hard enough, we can't love enough, we can't serve enough to raise ourselves from death to life. Sin makes us dead. Last week Mike used the great example about glasses and not being able to see really clearly and how that's kind of a picture of how we grow in Christ. We need the Holy Spirit to illumine us, give us new sight. And you can take that illustration, you can put it here and kind of take it a step further. Can you imagine putting glasses on a blind person? doesn't help why because they don't just need a new prescription they need to see their issue is deeper than that that's what Paul's getting at our issue is that in our sin is not that we're just bad or broken it's we are dead we are incapable of rescuing ourselves we are incapable of fixing our own situation sin makes us dead but that's not all. That leads to a second reality that tells us about our sin, which is this. In our sin we are enemies. Sin not only makes us dead, but sin makes us enemies. Enemies of who? Enemies of God. Look again, chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sun's Of disobedience. See, it's not just that we are dead, we're not just passive away from God, but we are actively moving in the opposite direction from Him. We are actively enemies of Him. Notice he uses the word, in which you once walked, that phrase and that word walked. This is active, it's ongoing action, it's not just a past thing. It is our reality apart from Jesus, a continual walking, a continual pursuing. This isn't just a momentary mistake. This isn't just a lapse in judgment, just a bad day. This is the consistent trajectory of our lives without Jesus. Running the opposite way of God. It's kind of like getting, leaving here today, getting on Interstate 26 and heading east. You're going to end up eventually in South Carolina. Your trajectory is going to take you somewhere. And in our sin, our trajectory is always away from God, not toward Him. It is always in opposition to Him. Where are we going? What are we following? He tells us two things that we're following. First, he says this, that we're following the world. Following the course of this world. What does that mean? He's talking about our culture, humanity, the people around us. That instead of following Jesus, it is the bent of your heart and my heart to listen to the world, the culture around us, and follow that instead of following Him. Our culture, our affections, our belief, the actions of the world, these external influences are always pushing on us. We talk about at Equip most weeks on Wednesday night, we talk about being disciples of Jesus and how do we grow as disciples of Jesus. But here's the reality. Every single person in this room is a disciple. You are. Every single person is following someone or something. The question is who are you following? Who's discipling you? What are you being formed into? Are you being formed into the image of Christ by the Spirit of God? Or are you being deformed by the world around you? Today many of us are going to be watching the Super Bowl And you're going to see a lot of ads and all of those advertisements they are trying to disciple you to buy their things. To be dissatisfied with your car or your potato chip or whatever else it might show us. And say, you need this and if you have this, then your life will be complete. It's discipling you. It's discipling me. And in our sin we follow it. Why? Because it tells us what we want to hear It says, be true to yourself. That feels really good. Follow your heart. feels really good. But not only are we following the world, notice what he says next, that we follow Satan instead of Jesus. This is hard, but this is what he says. Look again in verse two. In which you once walked following the course of the world, but not only following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Satan himself. That before Jesus, every one of us is a Satan follower. The prince of the power of the air is talking about this enemy of God. And the authority that he has, even though it's limited, is what we long for. We long for disobedience. We long for autonomy. We long for independence. Our, our culture, our world long for those things. Why? Because that's where Satan wants us to be. That's what he wants. He wants autonomy and independence from God. That's why he rebelled against God. So you and I, your friends, your coworkers, your kids, your neighbors, have become enemies of God. Instead of following Jesus, we follow the world. Instead of following Jesus, we follow the ways of enemy, Satan. Colossians 121 says it this way: and you were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. This is all of us. Titus 3:3, 3, 3, for we ourselves were once foolish. This is what sin does. It makes us foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice, that's anger, envy, hating, hated by others, hating one another. This is what we do in our sin. This is who we are. We're not just enemies of God. We become enemies of others because anyone who threatens our hope in ourselves becomes our enemy. Romans 1, 28-32 gives us a stark picture of what this looks like. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased or broken mind to do what ought to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. This is your story, my story. Evil, covetousness, wanting what is not ours. Malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They gossip. They're slanderers, haters of God, enemies, insolent, haughty, prideful, boastful. They're inventors of evil. They're disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. You might say, that's not me. Yes, it is. On our worst day and who we are, this is who we are. This is me. It's a mirror back to us though they know god's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die they not only do them but they give approval to those who practice them sin makes us dead sin also makes us enemies of god but that's not all it just keeps getting heavier third big idea is this in our sin we are slaves in our sin we are slaves. Not only are we dead in our sin, not only are we enemies of God, but we are slaves in our sin. Look at what he says next in verses 2-3. through In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. That's important. The Apostle Paul begins with you speaking to the church, but now he's expanding it. He's saying we have all lived this way. What way? Let's keep going. In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We're slaves to our passions. We're slaves to our desires. This is what sin does to us. It makes us slaves. For any of you who've ever wrestled through an addiction, you understand what this is like. To not be able to escape something that the desires are so hard. And that's what sin does to us. It makes us slaves. Among whom we once lived, lived again as that active, ongoing. We live for, and gives two things. First, the passions of our flesh. And the reality is God has given our bodies, has given us passions, and those passions are good. When they're aimed at his glory, when they're aimed at the good of others, they are good. But what sin does is it twists them. That it takes things like food, and it takes things like relationships, and it turns them into little gods, little functional saviors. And so instead of worshiping God out of these good gifts he's given us, we turn those things into our saviors. We live for our job. We live for a relationship. We live for approval. We live for what feels good. It becomes our idol. It takes us into bondage. We live for the passions of our flesh. Secondly, he says we live for the desires of the body and the mind. And what he's saying here is that at the center, it's self selfishness. Instead of God being at the center, we are at the center and the desires of our body and our mind are centered around what we want instead of wanting to bring glory and honor to the God we are created for. The picture of this in the Old Testament is the picture of Israel in slavery in the book of Exodus. That In Egypt, they were slaves to the Egyptians. They couldn't be set free. They couldn't break free. They were in bondage. With no hope unless the deliverer stepped in. This is your story. This is my story. This is your condition. This is my condition. The apostle Peter, speaking about slavery, describes it this way. 2 Peter 2.19 They promised them freedom. He's talking about false teachers. But they themselves are slaves of corruption. Listen to this. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Let me say it a different way for us. What is it that you couldn't live without? What is it that you couldn't live without if that thing was taken from you, that it would ruin you, that it would wreck you to your core, that it would destroy you down to your foundation? If you didn't get that job, That relationship became broken. If the stock market crashed, if the diagnosis went south, all these things are things that we would hope in other than God. We become slaves to good things. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6 24, no one can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one or despise the other. Can't serve two. There can only be one. And sin says there are better saviors than Jesus. There are better masters than God. Chase those. Don't pursue him. And we have given into the lie. And we have tasted the death that comes with it. Later, the New Testament authors will describe these three things lust the flesh, lust the eyes, the pride of life, the world, the flesh, the devil. Like, these are the enemies of the soul, and these are the things where sin thrives. Sin makes us dead, sin makes us enemies, sin makes us slaves. Which leads to our next big idea, which is this in our sin, we are guilty might be saying, Paul, can you just let up for a minute? Like, this is, this is heavy, this is hard, I know. I've been in this this week, I've been studying this, I'm with you in it. In our sin, we are guilty. Notice the way he describes us in verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. And listen to what he says next. And we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. In our sin, we are guilty before God. That's what wrath is about. It's God's judgment. God's just judgment against sin and against sinners. And yes, God is loving and God is merciful and God is gracious, but God is also just, and in being just and holy, He must punish injustice. That's good news for us, but it's bad news as sinners. That we are guilty. We are children of wrath. This has a present orientation. If you're in your sin, you are a child of wrath. This also has a future orientation. This is coming for us. And notice, this isn't just something that we walk into in our lives. Look at what he says. By nature, we are children of wrath. What does that mean? It is intrinsic to us. We are born with this. You guys know we have four kids, the fantastic four. And they are amazing and they are a handful and a challenge and all those kinds of things. We've had to try to teach them a lot, and we've failed a lot as parents. But you know one thing I've never had to teach any of my four children is how to disobey. Even as little ones, as one-year-olds, two-year-olds, they quickly, you don't touch the light socket. They are reaching out, you know, eat your food. Oh, they're spitting it out, whatever it is. Don't touch the plant, you know, don't bite the dog, whatever that might be. And they are quick. They understand, they know, and they're quick to turn to the thing that they want. And what the apostle Paul wants us to see is that sin is not far from us. It's not just something we fell into or we stumbled into, we made a mistake here, there. We're not basically good. We are born in our sin. It's a part of our story, it's who we are. Listen to how David, the psalmist, describes it in Psalm 51. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That our brokenness is not just something that happens to us, it's a part of who we are from the very beginning. It is our nature. We are born into sin, but secondly, we abide in sin. We talk a lot about abiding in Jesus, but apart from Jesus, we live, we rest, we continue on, we pursue things of sin. This is who we are. No one teaches us to be impatient, to have road rage when that person's going 35 and a 45. It's just natural to who we are. No one teaches us to fear, no one had to train you to be anxious instead of trusting God. No one had to teach you how to hold unforgiveness and bitterness against someone else. No one had to teach you how to be greedy for money, how to lust after someone from the opposite sex. No one had to teach you how to be angry. It's a part of who we are, and we stand before God guilty and condemned. Therefore, Romans 6.23 begins by saying this, there is no distinction, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. Sorry, Romans three twenty two, twenty four. 22, 24. And Romans six twenty three says this, For the wages of sin is death. There's no distinction. Everyone falls short. And we are all guilty before God. Romans 2, 5 says this, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself. On the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed, there's a day that's coming when justice will be required of every human being that has ever existed. And on our own, in our sin, friends, you and I are guilty. Guilty It's charged. Which leads to one of our final... Second to last big ideas, which is this. In our sin, we are hopeless and we are helpless. We are hopeless and helpless. I want you to feel the weight of this this morning. This is what the Apostle Paul wants for us to feel, our hopelessness and our helplessness, that we have no hope of saving ourselves. And even if we thought we did, we are helpless to change our condition Everyone is here. Everyone is included in this. Again, he starts in verse 1, you were. And he continues in verse 2, we all were. And now he ends in verse 3, as the rest of mankind. Everyone is included in this. No one seeks after God. No one pursues him on their own. Everyone is dead in their sin. Everyone are enemies of God. Everyone are slaves to sin. Everyone are guilty before God. You, me, your kids, your parents, everyone that you love and care about, this is true of them, this is true of us. The prophet Isaiah would say it this way, Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to our own way. The Apostle Paul in Romans 3 will describe it this way. There is none righteous, no not one. Quoting from the Old Testament, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is on their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And in their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Your story, my story. We are all guilty, all hopeless, all helpless. Do you see it? Friend, do you see it? Do you feel it this morning? Do you feel the weight of that this morning? You and I, we're we're like Jonah, running from God, running to Nineveh, on the ship, headed away from God. The storm of wrath and judgment has come. We've been found out. We're guilty, and now we're standing on the rail. You're looking out at the waves and the wind crashing down, about to be hurled into the sea of destruction. That is you and me apart from God. This is who we are. Can you feel it? Do you see it in you? Do you feel it in the world around you? Do you feel it for your kids and your loved ones? This is who we are. And the Apostle Paul has shown brilliantly and graphically our condition apart from Jesus. Which leads us to cry out, what do we do? What hope do we have? Where do we turn Verse 4, but God. Two of the most beautiful words in the Bible, but God. He steps in, he, he intervenes, and look at what it says. But God, being rich in mercy, not just wrathful and justice, that's who he is, but being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Because we were lovely? No. Because we had done anything? No. But in his mercy, in the riches of his mercy, even when we were dead, not when we were on our best behavior or doing well, but when we were far from God, when we were dead in our trespasses, our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Praise God, in the weight of all of our sin, in the weight of our brokenness, in the weight of our slavery, in the weight of our being enemies of God, in the weight of our condemnation, our guilt, and our hopelessness and helplessness, but God, this is the gospel, this is the good news. God did not leave us in our sin, he made a way to save us through his son Jesus Christ. These verses in our English version, you read it, and it's actually broken up into sentences, but it's actually just one sentence. Do you know what the subject of this sentence is? God. Do you know what the verb is? Made alive. What good news, what beauty for us, that even when we've rebelled against God, He has made a way to save us, which leads to our final big idea this morning, In Jesus, we are raised from death and sin to life in Him, according to the riches of God's grace. Amen? Do you feel it? Do you see it? That in the moment when we had no hope, God became our hope, God intervened for you and for me. In Jesus, We receive God's extravagant mercy and great love. And I think it's so important. Sometimes you'll hear people pit God the Father against God the Son, like God the Father is the God of wrath, and Jesus the Son is the God of love. Notice who is described as the one being filled with mercy and love. It's the Father. It's His extravagant mercy, His riches of mercy, His great love that was poured out for you and for me in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we can be saved by grace. How? Because Jesus became the payment for our sin. He took on the debt. He died on the cross in your place, in my place, in the sin of humanity. All the weight, all the enemy, all the guilt, all the shame, all the death, all the slavery, all the hopelessness, all the helplessness was put on Him. And Jesus paid it all. It is finished, it is done. In Jesus, we can become recipients of God's mercy, His love, and His grace, and His salvation. And all that happens through faith. Trusting in Him as Savior and Lord. I want you to listen to the way the Apostle Paul describes this in Romans 5 8. He says it this way While we were still weak, it's almost like being an infant trying to fight off a dragon. What hope do you have? The answer is none. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for you, for me, for us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though maybe for a good person one might even think or dare to lay down their life. Listen to this. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners still rebels spurning his grace running the other way defaming his name living for ourselves hating others that's when God put his love out to you and to me through Jesus praise God hallelujah what a savior This is what Christ has done for you and has done for me this morning. So, how do we respond? What do we do? For some of you this morning, the response is this turn to Jesus. In your sin, you're still dead. In your sin, you're still in bondage. You're an enemy. You're guilty. You're hopeless and helpless. Turn to Jesus. Trust in him as Savior and Lord. And I've been praying that for many of you this morning, the Holy Spirit would open your eyes to see your sin and to see Jesus as Savior. Turn to him. Trust in him. For many of you, you might be like me this morning, and the response might just be simply, you've grown apathetic to this beautiful gospel become complacent, it's become standard we talk about Jesus, we talk about we sing these songs, we go to church remember who you were remember who you are remember what God has done for you and let it move you to worship maybe you've compromised in sin, maybe you've compromised in your faith and now it's an opportunity to repent and turn back to Jesus the God who loved you and gave himself for you we're going to move into a time of response. Just want to ask you to bow your head where you are. And this is not the end of the service. I encourage you not to leave, to move, but before the Lord this morning to ask, God, how would you have me respond? What is my next step? For some of you, that's again turning to Jesus as Savior and Lord, trusting in Him. I just urge you this morning to not leave before you do that. Not listen to the lies of the enemy say another time. You don't need that now. To turn to Jesus, to trust in Him. As we sing. There'll be people out in the atrium. We'd love to help you respond to the gospel. I'll be here down front. Help you respond to the gospel. Turn to Jesus. Trust in Him. For those of you who are in Christ this morning, your response, my response, is remember who you were, and to rejoice in who you are. Let the gospel overwhelm you again. Maybe you've grown complacent. Maybe you've given in to compromise. Repent. Turn to Jesus. The hope of your soul. His mercy is more. Oh God, I just pray for my brothers and sisters. We thank you for your word. It's a mirror to the soul. It reveals us. It helps us to see ourselves as who we are, really are. And we say thank you. Lord, may we never, Holy Spirit, help us never forget how far we were from you. And help us to always rejoice in but God, the way you've moved toward us. And Lord, we ask that you would help us in the same way to move toward others. We're still in sin, you're still under your wrath. So they might come into this family. They might know the hope of your soul. Thank you and praise you. Your mercy is more. Would you help us to live that truth? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Invite you to stand and continue to worship with us this morning.